And, uh, you know, I was looking this week and kind of, you know, thinking about all that God has done and all that God has given us and, uh, and how it all has laid itself out. And I thought to myself, what a, you know, what a great timing aspect for us to be in the book of Romans. I, I don't know how you view it, but after years of just watching God do things, not only in my own life, but in the lives of so many other people, I really don't believe that there's too many accidents that just happen to us as far as where we go in life and what we do. Oh, you may get a, you know, I'm not one of these kind of guys that think if you get the flu, it's because, uh, you know, God wanted you to get it, or you get a cold, you know, it was preordained of God that you got the cold. I think if you touch somebody or get around somebody that's got a cold, you're going to get a cold. That's just the way it works. But I believe when it comes to the things in your life and my life where God really uh, wants to mold and make you, if you're saved, into what He wants you to be, I really believe that uh, there are no accidents. I heard me say it last week when I talked about how the fact that I don't believe it's an accident that, uh, that uh, you're in this church. Uh, God has something for you, and, uh, you know, I was thinking of how the timing of God providing our building and, and getting where we're at and where we're at in the book of Romans. And Romans is truly a, a key book in our lives that if we're ever going to do what God wants us to do job of this church is when you get saved or when you come in and no matter where you're at with the Word of God is to help build a foundation in your life. And that what we need to do is take you and help you understand why you believe what you believe. Remember last week I told you that uh, uh, when you don't know what you believe and why you believe in it, when tough times come, you're going to panic. That is so true. And, I, and our job is not only to help get a foundation in your life on what you believe, but then to continue to build on that foundation uh, as you grow, building on what you already know, and we just add to it. I was reading in the Old Testament this week, and I, I was thinking about uh, talking, uh, studying about the life of Rehoboam and Jeroboam. And I was coming back there in Second Chronicles chapter 12, verse 14, and you know I read a verse that I'd read many, many times, but I, I had forgotten about it, and as I read it, I thought to myself, boy, isn't that so true of where so many of God's people are at. Bible says about Rehoboam that uh, he got into sin, and the reason why he got into sin is the Bible says because he prepared not his heart to seek the Lord. And I think that in a nutshell, that's exactly what this church is really about, it's about when it's all boiled down, this is what my job is, and uh, it's really what your job is. Prepare your heart to seek the Lord. That's why you're here today. That's why you come on Thursday night. That's why you get discipled. That's why you do uh, the things that you do. That's why you come over and sit down with me, and we go through things in the Bible together and help you figure it out, because that's what each of us need to do. <clears throat> Prepare our heart to seek the Lord. I listened to Dave Ramsey this week, and <clears throat> I don't know what you know about Dave Ramsey, but <clears throat> I like him. I think he's got some of the greatest <clears throat> practical stuff <clears throat> that, uh, uh, for young couples when they get married financially that you're ever going to hear. You know, we got the big thing going on today with the economy, you know, and we talked about it last week, and, and all of the things, and the government bailouts and all that. And I, you know, in the midst of all the flurry, in the midst of all the... Uh, stuff that's being said, and you can't get anybody to agree on it. As I was listening to him speak, I thought to myself, in, in all of this shouting about, I don't know what to do, but we need to do something, here was a very clear, definitive voice on what the real issue was and what the real problem is. And he said something that I, I thought was very, very appropriate for the times that we live in, in our own country, with our own government, and with all of the problems that we face. He said that the real issue 
wasn't the stock market going up and down. He says because traditionally and historically the stock market, uh, and he cited several instances down through the last uh, 50 years where it's been bad, it's been good. I myself can remember in my short time, uh, can remember at least three recessions that we went through. And there's always the fear of job being lost and uh, you know, outsourcing jobs and all of that. And uh, he, he made the point that the real issue is, is the fact that, that people need to understand that these things happen. And he says that people need to realize that in their daily planning of what they do, they need to prepare financially for when these things happen. He said that, you know what, he says most of us, when the good times are here, we never think about the bad times. We have the good times, we have more money, or we have this, or we have that, so what we do is we just focus on more of what we want than looking ahead. And, I, and as I listened to what he was saying, I thought to myself, my, 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 I, I, I think he's a Christian. I never personally met him, but uh, he, he claims to be, and he certainly has some good sound biblical principles that he operates by. But uh, I, I thought to myself, my, 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 that's exactly, that's exactly what it, what's wrong with people serving God in the ministry today. How many times I've told you, especially you folks that uh, are in the upper echelon of leadership and you want to uh, take a part of the action here in this church, how many times have I told you that a good leader is constantly looking behind, looking around, and looking ahead? That's basically what he's saying. And the problem we're in now financially is because we as individuals, can't look for the handout and the bailout from anybody. But we as individuals did not look ahead and foresee by, by looking behind to see where we're at today. And that is so true of what it, what it takes in our relationship with God. To me, the importance of having a, a, a base of operation. And even though God has certainly blessed us and brought us uh, where we were before, uh, the, the, the upside of where we're at now is simply uh, that we have a home base of operation, a hub of training and learning to build God's people. You know, I, when, I, when, I, when we were finishing all this up, Larry, the guy who, who owns all of this, he asked me, he says, well, when are you going to put your sign up? And uh, I already took the sign off the old place over there, you know, and I uh, got it over in Steve's warehouse at some point. It'll fit perfectly, you know. Uh, yeah. See, there's, a, there's an ordinary. Did you ever notice how that the, there's a truck out here and there's a van out here that, that has signs on it, one's for the fly shop and the other one's for the we sell it for you, eBay, you know? You know why that is? You know why they, and you see those trucks stationed around the parking lot. Well, the reason is because there's a city ordinance. You can't put a sign out there anymore. So what these guys did is got around the system that they've got a big old truck and van and painted what their sign is, and then they just, as long as it doesn't stay in the same place for any period of time, they drop it around the parking lot. That's why sometimes you'll see it up here, sometimes you'll see it over here, sometimes you'll see it over here. You know, there's always a way around the system when you want around the system. And I, uh, I told him, I said, you know, I said, I, I think that uh, we probably at some point will do that, but I said, I, I'm not in any hurry to do that. And then I drove out the other night after Bible study. And as I drove out the other night after Bible study, I thought to my, I looked up and I saw that sign that's already out there, the big one on a pole. And it, it basically says the Apple Tree Center. And I thought to myself, you know, God in His infinite wisdom, looking down through all of eternity and, and doing things the way that He does and giving us this place, He probably named the place of this a lot better than we ever could. Proverbs chapter 25, verse 11 says, A word fitly spoken is like apples 
of gold in a pitcher of silver. You know, in the Bible, apples are likened to the Word of God. You find it in Song of Solomon in, uh, in chapter uh, uh, 8, verse 5, and, and 2, 3, and then again in Proverbs chapter 7. When you come through the Bible, apples are a picture of the Word of God. And as I drove home that night and I saw that sign at Apple Tree Center, I thought to myself, what a fitting name for where I want to go with what we have now. Because I, I and, you, and you've heard me say it before, I'm not into a building. I would have been satisfied just stay where I was. But when God provided what He provided and, and gave the burden in my heart of what we need to do, uh, I understand uh, how important it is to have a base of operations, a, a hub of training where we can really build God's people on a number of different levels. And I want to I wanna give you my introduction today before we get into Romans chapter 6 uh, and showing you some of those things and understanding. The beauty of this church is not as what is on the outside, but rather what is on the inside. If you would go back to the Old Testament and you would walk through the, the uh, Old Testament times, you'd see an old dilapidated tent, looked like it was a used army surplus tent sitting back there in the middle of the nation of Israel. You'd walk around that tent. It was made out of old skins of leather, badger skins, and all of that. And it just looked like the most dilapidated, beaded-up thing you ever saw in your life. When you walked into that tent, you found out that you were in the sanctuary or the tabernacle of the nation of Israel that God had given them. In there was seven pieces of furniture. Every one of those pieces of furniture were made out of a certain kind of wood and overlaid with gold. You would find that as you walked through there that every inside when you got into there it was the most absolutely incredible, beautiful thing you ever saw in your life. You'd go to the east end of that and you would find a curtain. Beyond that curtain you would find the Holy of Holies. There is a, where's where the Ark of the Covenant was that, that was overlaid with gold. It had the two golden cherubs kneeling over it. And that's where the blood and the sacrifice was put uh, when, they, when the Old Testament nation of Israel priests made their sacrifice. You see, that is such a picture of what your life and my life should be. That's why the Bible says that when we study the Word of God, we perfect ourselves, Word of God. The Bible says we need to, at the end, end of the day, the product is that we will be truly furnished. Not truly finished, truly furnished. Because that tabernacle was a picture of the outside, just ordinary me and you. But the inside is where God dwells and the holy things of God are and that's where the beauty of Christianity really is. That's why it doesn't make any difference to me if we meet in a building, a barn, or a warehouse, because the real beauty of it is just like in that Old Testament picture of the tabernacle. If you'd have saw that, it looked like any old tent you would have seen any time, any place, anywhere. Well, what the real beauty was was what was on the inside. And I look at this, I look at this as a as a picture of silver. Silver in the Bible is a picture of redemption filled with the golden apples that represent the deity of Christ. And that's our job as a church, is to be a vessel, a vessel of silver, which contains all the deity that God has given us through the Word of God. And what we want to we, we wanna be able to accomplish here in this church that God has provided for us. And again, I don't believe there's any accidents. I don't believe there's any accidents in anything that God does. We want to build on what we already have. I want to continue to, to defining the great doctrines of the book of Romans. And I've told you many, many times, a church as an individual Christian should be in a constant state of redefining and rebuilding. You know, everybody, everybody complains about the Chiefs because I've been here now in Kansas City for uh, 
well, well since 1975, you figure it out. And ever since I've been here, they've been in a rebuilding program. <clears throat> that doesn't fare well if you've got a football team. But that's exactly what a church ought to be in. Because you know why? Because you're all in different stages of growing. Some of you here this morning and you're very young Christians, you've just gotten saved. Some of you have been saved a year or six months or eight months and you're, you're moving up, the, so to speak. And some of you have been saved longer than that and some of you have been around ever since we started the church and, uh, you know, you, you have an active part in, in what we do here. Everybody should be in a constant state with any church of looking in, inward and redefining and, and, and continuing rebuilding themselves. And uh, you people that came in two years ago, uh, you should be ready to help other people now. And I don't know if you uh, are where I'm at with it, but I, I look around and I know in my own personal dealing with people and my own aspect of people coming over and people coming to the church, it's, it's absolutely exploded. There's hardly a night that I don't do four or five hours every night of somebody coming over and, and, and getting the Word of God or, or getting saved or, or trying to get their marriage put back together or their life put back together. And, and that's really what it's all about. And, you know, over the last year, without any fanfare, without any, you know, I, I'm so sick and tired of getting up and saying, we're going to do this, you know, and then everybody signs up and about six weeks later, you know, five of you are left. You know, it's a thing where most churches and most Christians, they, they're very, they walk by sight, not by faith. And when you give something exciting, they want to do it, and then after the reality of what it costs comes down, then they quit doing it. And that's just the way it goes. But I have very cautiously over the last year, <clears throat> knowing, trying to time the thing the way God was going and what He was showing me, without a lot of fanfare, slowly taking people uh, who uh, were working with me and people that we were perfecting uh, along the line of putting together uh, an infrastructure in this church, a structure that would uh, get us ready to go when everything was pretty much ready to go. And here we are this morning, we're ready to go. We have now for the first time in our lives, uh, not only in the book of Romans, which is invaluable to where we're at today, and that's why I say the timing of this is incredible, <clears throat> but we're also at a place that I've never really been in my life in the ministry, and that is I have more people to work with than I can simply handle myself. And yet, as I look at this and I, I, I think to myself, what an incredible opportunity this is. And over the next couple of months, I'm going to very basically, I'm not going to make a big deal about it, but I, there's some things that, that I have put together and been working on for the last year that, uh, and just waiting for the thing to get the right timing and everything to get where we could be and get it all done that we can begin to really specialize in some of our ministries. When we started our church, you remember that I took about 10 or 12 of you couples. We were all new to the church, and we started, uh, and what I did is we met over our home, and I basically taught you how to disciple somebody. You were my first group that I worked with that really uh, took those 10 lessons that we worked through, and I, I got you ready <coughs> to uh, take somebody and work with me, and you'll be able to disciple somebody. You know, out of those 10 or 12 couples, probably five couples are, are actively doing it today, and that's just the way it goes. That's just the way it, it works. But I want to I begin to take uh, another group of young couples, and I say young couples, I'm talking about anybody that wants to do it, basically, and begin to teach you again how to begin to disciple somebody and bring you through and show you the inside out. Uh, I'm not interested in just uh, walking you through the lessons. I want to show you when you work with somebody for me in discipleship, <clears throat> which is our entry level. 
you begin to learn and understand exactly what you want to accomplish in that person's life. And I want to begin to do that. And I want to begin to get some people that are up there ready. You've been around now for a while. You're ready to go. You need to get the confidence and the training in your own personal life of what you want to do and how you want to operate from there. At the same time, I want to develop a specialized ministry uh, for young couples in this church. I have been working with young couples on a regular basis now all through the week. I've had a number of them saved. I've had people that uh, have been coming through the counseling ministry. And uh, I have been talking with some of the, uh, a couple of the young couples that I want to uh, develop a ministry that basically in time, uh, you guys take over the ministry as far as of, of all young couples that come in. Many times young couples will come in and have been married. You know, I say, I say young couples, been married maybe five years or less or, or whatever, you know. And they come in, sometimes they're newlywed. We've got a couple right now that, that somebody else sent to our church uh, for marital counseling because of the fact that they didn't have confidence in the pastor where they were going. And, uh, and we're going to be working with them. And I've got a number of couples out there, young couples, that uh, what they need is they need other young couples that can really be a model for them. And I want to put together a, a ministry where <clears> then <throat> in time you guys do the marital counseling if they're, if, when somebody's going to get married. That you guys are the ones that when they do get married, you bring them through the marriage classes and get them up and ready to go. You're the ones that basically uh, when a young couple comes in and they struggle with problems after I deal with them and find out where they're at, they become part of your ministry. We tie it into the athletic ministry. We reach out with couples that you maybe already know that are struggling or have no church or don't go to a good church. And we actually have a, a hub of all of the young couples that really want to get involved on whatever level you are. It doesn't matter. I can give you something to do on no matter what level you're at that you can be a part of really helping uh, other young couples. And you identify yourselves as that. And, uh, you know, you work uh, uh, throughout the week and have different social events. Like I said, we tie it into the athletics. We tie it into what we do here on Sunday morning. You hitchhike off of where I'm going. You, you all have people that you'll be responsible for, and you'll, you'll develop from there. Where I want to go in time, and let, let me just say this to you. Look around, look behind, look ahead. You know what it costs to get married today besides the rest of your life? <clears throat> And your shotgun, your fishing boat, and your dog, and your, you know, and your Camaro. <clears throat> you know what it costs to go someplace to get married? You know what I'd like to see in time? And I'm not going to do this tomorrow, but this is where I'm looking. i got to get the base of young couples up because I want to develop a young couples ministry that is ready to take on all the young couples that come in, that you'll work with me and then we'll bring them right through. And it doesn't matter where you're at. It doesn't matter if you don't know squat about the Bible. I don't care. We will work together as a team to get everybody on whatever level they are. If a couple is going to get married, they can, they can, they can move into this area and get, the, and get the counseling that they need to get on marital counseling and, and work through there under my, under my supervision and direction, and we'll work it that way. But what I'd like to do in time is this. If you ever looked at renting a place to get, get married, I, I did a wedding for Chris, Chris's daughter, who umpires our ball games. I did a wedding for Chris, and they had to rent a place. Uh, I married his daughter, and they had to rent a place over there in Overton Park there. And uh, on, a, on a Sunday afternoon, that's when they got, had to get married, it cost them $2,500 on a Sunday afternoon to get married in a place that wasn't much bigger than this. On a prime time night, it's like $6,000. And I'm telling you, there is a lot of people out there 
the young couples that want to get married, but the dilemma they have is not having a place to get married. Now, that's one of the beauties of this thing here. If you ever decide you want to get married, you have a place that will never cost you a dime if you want to get married here. You're a member of this church. It's your church. And, uh, you know, you can do whatever you want to do here within, within reason. And, uh, you know, and uh, this can be where it's at. But what I thought about is this. I mean, look around at what we have here. We could develop a time in a web page where we develop a thing where, we, where we, we give them an alternative, charge them a very nominal fee, and then allow them to use this and have the people out of the young marriage be the wedding coordinators, do the marital counseling, do everything that we knew, can do to reach out and to reach those couples. We have to use every avenue we have to reach out for people. One of the problems and the failures in missions around the world is missionaries do not have the ability to penetrate the culture that they're trying to get into. We have an opportunity and we also have the people to be able to penetrate into our own culture and do what we need to do to try to reach out and be there for them, extend ourselves to them first, and then, as the Bible says, give a reason to any man that asks us for the reason of the hope that is within you. All kinds of things that I want to accomplish through that. We won't do it all by next week, but we want to begin to build. We want to begin to take the young couples and begin to, you know, uh, begin to circulate, uh, take the young ones that are just into this church, take some of the older ones that have been around for a while, and build a cadre of teaching and training that gets you ready to handle that, that aspect of it. For the same time, uh, I realize that we have uh, ladies in our church that, that maybe you're married or maybe you're single and you don't, if you don't fit into the and maybe that young marriage particular class, or maybe you do, whatever. But I, I, I want to have, have a class for the ladies. And that class is going to be right around taking young ladies and middle-aged ladies and older ladies and moms and dads, whatever, and help you build your own personal relationship. I guess the best way to say it is to help you define yourself in your role in this church. So many of you have been into this church now for six months or a year, and uh, you know what? You've, you've got a lot of potential. It's time now that we begin to restructure and refocus and help you uh, be better at what God wants you to do. We want to put some classes together where that you begin to go through some things and, 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 and help you develop those skills. Maybe you have, uh, you know, uh, you can go through it with your daughter if you have a daughter in this church. And together you can go through and, and build your own relationship and build your relationship as you minister. And there's so many things that we can accomplish with that. I also want to do it with the, with, the, with the single men and begin to, and I work with many of them and the single gals too throughout the week as they come over, but I want to develop a thing where you can get exactly where you're at. I want you to be able to see where I'm going, understand my vision and where you fit into this. Hey, I love all of us older folks, including myself. I love... I, I, we go to a grocery store on Tuesday now because they give senior citizen discounts to groceries on Tuesday. So that's where I'm at with it. Hey, you are the stable force in this church, and I love it. But you know what? We can't. We always got to constantly look around, look behind, and look ahead. Ten years down the line, if Jesus doesn't come, you and I are going to be down at John Knox Village holding the thing up down there. We have got to always be looking ahead at the lifeblood of this church. And the moment we stop doing that, we're in trouble. And we've got to be able to always look around, look behind, and look ahead. And I want to help develop you in a personal way to be the man or the husband that God wants you to be or the father that God wants you to be. 
tying it all together with the book of Romans and getting to the place where you understand what you believe and why you believe it. We got approved this week uh, at a Dr. Ruckman's bookstore down in Pensacola, Florida, to be an extension of their bookstore. I ordered $2,000 or $2,500 worth of material, study material. It's going to be here this week. It's going to go in our bookstore back there. I want to make this a hub of learning. No more, folks, do we have to worry about whose house we got to meet in and, uh, because we can't get the building and wonder what we got to do with the kids. Anytime you want to meet here now and have something going on, it's available. And if you got kids, we don't have to run around and find it. There's enough high school kids. When we're right here, you can give them a couple bucks to watch the kids in the nursery. And everything becomes centralized where we want to do and what we want to accomplish. When I look at it, I talk to you Thursday night. I talk to you Thursday night about what I look for in people. I've been in this business for a lot of years, and I can sit down and almost tell you uh, by talking with you if, if you got it or you don't. And I told you, I, I never tell somebody they don't because my job is to give you the best shot that I can. And, uh, but there's certain qualities that I look for in a person. I mean, there's certain, and I don't know, I'm not saying I'm deja vu or clairvoyant. I'm just saying over the years in ministry, I know what it takes to be an effective minister. And when I see those basic raw things in your life or my life, in, in your life that I had to see in my life, then I begin to say, that's the kind of person. And what I'll do is I'll take those five things and I'll begin to develop those things and then see where God goes with it. Everybody gets the chance. If somebody isn't at church this morning because they quit coming to church, that's their choice, not mine. Everybody gets the shot. But I know here at the Apple Center what my job is. I look for a person who has adaptability. Because in the ministry, you have to be able to adapt to every situation. There's no place for rigidness in the ministry. There's no place for being stuck in your own ways. The ministry is a constant fluid thing that changes not hour by hour, not day by day, but sometimes minute by minute. And somebody has to have the ability to be able to be adaptable, to be able to see what's going on and be able to adjust to it. I see that in some of you. I see that in some of you. I see it in some of you who read the, are beginning to read the circumstances and the situation before it even happens, and then you move to it. That's what I'm talking about. Uh, the second thing is flexibility. You have to be flexible. When you work with somebody or you get into the ministry, hey, I, I hate to tell you this, but your time pretty much for your own is gone. You, know, you have to carve some of that out, keep it for your family and your wife and your kids. I'm not talking about that. But the bottom line is this, you have to be flexible for what you have to do for God when He wants you to do it, and it doesn't cease to be, hey, all of our lives, let's face it, all of our lives, we run our lives on our schedule. When you come to the ministry, that has to change, and you have to do it on His schedule. I'm sure in Acts chapter 8, Philip didn't really care, didn't have any idea that morning when he got up, the Holy Spirit was going to pull him out of the revival and send him over to the Giza on the backside of the desert. But you want to find the five things in a man, study his life. You study his light, and this is where I got him years ago. You'll find adaptability, you'll find flexibility, and then the next thing is you'll find is, is, uh, is uh, dependability. And I see dependability in some of you. I know if I give you a job to do, the job's going to get done. The next one is durability. You're going to have to come to the place where uh, the ministry can be hard on you. You have to learn how to balance yourself. 
You have to learn how to, how to get it all working and that you can get it done without really hurting yourself. Because the ministry is like, you know, the ministry is like so many other things. It can become so overwhelming and you do so much of it that you lose sight of what's right around you. I don't know how many times I've seen men and, uh, in the ministry over the years that, that had great ministries but lost their families because they were so busy ministering to anybody else out there, but they could not minister to the first ministry they have, the first church that they have, which is their family. And then the last one is compatibility. You have to be get along with people. If you haven't figured it out yet, the ministry is people. And not everybody that you're going to work with is always a nice person to deal with. But the bottom line is this, you've got to minister to them and deal with them anyhow. These are the things that I look for. And many of you have these things and tying it all together with the book of Romans, getting to the place that you understand why and what you believe and putting it and helping you get to that point. You know, the mark of the Philadelphian church, and we talk about this a lot. I talk about how that what I want to do is I want to build a, a Philadelphian church. And we all know that that was the most profitable church in all of the, all of the Bible. And I talk it all the time of how I want to build a, a, a Philadelphia church in the Laodicean church period. It's been my goal from day one. It's been my goal for years, ever since I saw the great principle. But i got to be honest with you, one of the marks of the Philadelphian church, really it's a mark of the biblical line going all the way back to the New Testament, was their ability to win people to Christ. And you know what? And I'm, this is not a criticism because I understand we're a young church in many, many, many ways, and this is just all, go, this is all part of the process. But probably 85 to 90% of you in this room probably could not lead somebody to Christ if you found yourself in that situation. And the mark of the Philadelphian church was their ability to be able to open up the Scriptures and show someone how to become a Christian, leading somebody to Christ. And that, you know, if you've been around here, you found it a couple of Thursday nights ago and uh, on Sunday morning last week and throughout the, just about the time that my, one of my biggest fears, one of my biggest problems, because so many people are, are doing so many different things, is the fact that get here on a Thursday night and, and, and somebody or two or three people want to raise their hand to be saved. And I, my, my biggest fear is looking around that crowd and finding somebody that I feel confident with. Now, it isn't about you being confident with yourself. It's about me being confident with you. Very frankly, uh, you know, you find people in life that they're very confident in themselves, but I have no confidence in them. One of my favorite verses with dealing with people is Proverbs 25, 19. It says, confidence in an unfaithful man in the time of trouble is like a foot at a joint or a broken tooth. And that is so true. Dependability to me is uh, when you take somebody and that I know you have the ability, you have the ability to win that person to Christ and to deal and to deal with the issues that you may find. You see, this is why you can't just get the Romans road down and figure out what you want to do. You have to understand, and this is why the book of Romans is so important, and in a minute we're going to deal with a, a major piece of you understanding this. This is why the book of Romans is so absolutely important, because when you win somebody to Christ, you win somebody based on not just knowing what somebody has shown you, but the real key is understanding the process of how somebody gets saved in the Bible and laying that thing out and knowing it and being comfortable with yourself. So I want to take some classes, and I want to take some of you ladies, and I got, uh, I got, uh, uh, I'm going to put you into a situation where we teach you how to win somebody to Christ. I'm going to do the same thing with some of the guys. 
that, uh, that we, we, we take you through and we show you. Get everybody on the same page. That doesn't mean that everybody is going to be at that point ready to do it, but it'll show me who has the ability at this point and then where you need to go from there. Bottom line is, it's, it's up to you. My job is to provide you with the instruction, provide you with the material, provide you to help you understand and give you what you need. But if you think just coming to a class is going to prepare you for anything, you're going to have to go home and you're going to have to work it through, understand it yourself. But I have some people that can help you do that. And uh, I want to come to the point where when I get into a Sunday morning service or a Thursday night service uh, on Bible study, and uh, that I have in my, in, in my grasp, I have 10 or 15 people. I don't even have to think about it. The hardest thing in the world is to give an invitation, try to communicate with that person, and then at the same time be looking around and saying, now, who do I got out here? I want you to get saved, but boy, I need somebody that I know can deal with this situation. That is the most frustrating thing for a pastor to have to do. Not your fault. Not your fault. Not your fault. Most of you have not been around that long, but I'm point telling you now, this point on, we have to solve some of these issues. I'm going to have a class for the ladies. I'm going to have a class for the men. A couple of years ago, we put in deacons. And I waited for two or three years before we even put the deacons in just to get a good base of foundation of where we're at. Remember, I gave you a charge. And I talked about how that you men and your wives are basically the perimeter of our outer defenses of this church. Your job is very clearly defined in the Bible. It's a step that brings you to the next level, uh, which is an elder in this church, which we don't really have any of those at this point. Hopefully we'll get some there that in some time. But you should be the central hub of this ministry as far as what this ministry is going on. You're the wall that protects not only me as a pastor, but protects the church and each member that is a member of Old Paths Baptist Church. You protect the doctrine. You're on a watch. We have the watch care of this church. Now that we have a base of operation, and, and we've been somewhat handicapped because with so much going on in such a limited time and a place to do it. And I want to spread this out over the next year. This is not we're all going to try to jam this all together in the next couple of weeks. Some of it we're going to start very quickly. But it's something that we've got in our church probably two or three guys who between the three of them have about 100 years in ministry as far as being deacons, being in good churches, bad churches, dealing with uh, in the good side of deacons and the bad side of deacons. And I want, them, I want them to take you young guys and to spend some time really helping you define what your role is as far as the protector of this church helping you understand exactly from their experiences what, you, what your job really is and, and get you to the point where you become even a better asset than you already are. A lot of things that we got to get accomplished in a lot of people's lives. I want to give you every opportunity I can. And obviously, you know, this is not a thing where there's going to be a sign-up sheet back here because it would be the same old, same old. Everybody would sign up and half of you, less than half of you would finish it. Come on, I'm not interested in that. Right now, we got a new building. It's exciting. We got nice couches. We got nice chairs. We got nice fans. We got nice this. Thank you, David. We got, we did pretty good putting them up, did you? I come up there and put the, you know what I almost forgot? I was going to tell one of the guys to make sure I don't know if I got all these tight. <laughs> we'll find out before the service is over. 
so much going on. And we have to come to the point where we really, really, really get this thing up to the point where it's operational. To whom much is given, much is required. And I, uh, you know what, I've worked with many of you over the last couple of years and uh, we have worked together faithfully and you have grown so much and now it's time to take you to the level. Some of you are already working with me in small group levels, part of that, that thing that I put into effect in the last year or so. And now we're going to take it to the next level. And I, everybody who wants to, and if you don't want to, it's, it's, it's fine, but everybody who wants to, I want to try to give you the opportunity because God will only give us as many people as we are willing to take care of. And we are fast coming to the point where I'm at my capacity. And I want to specialize with what I do best. And I want to be able to train up young men and young ladies that can handle part of this work and uh, that I have the confidence in that you can do that. I'm not asking God for a new building. I didn't ask Him for this one. I was content to stay where I was. But I do ask God constantly for a new vision, for a redefining of not only myself, but this church and you. New people, fresh, ready to get to transform themselves into the image of Christ and, and pick up part of the load of this work and get it done. That's where I'm going. That is the end result of what God has given us, and there's something for everybody. On whatever spiritual level you are, if you want to, be, you want to perfect yourself or you want to prepare your heart, to seek the Lord. I'll get you there. But we got to do some things that will help you. And I have sat down with, uh, with people uh, over the last uh, six months and, and got this basically organized, ready to go. And I was waiting till we had a hub of operation where we could get it done and begin to lay it all out. And, and uh, that's what we want to do. And along with all of that, we're going to continue the book of Romans, studying the great doctrinal position of the New Testament church found in this book. I talked to you a while back, it's been a couple of years now, about how my goal and my dream was to develop a counseling ministry. And, you know, many times God gives me the concept in my heart, but He always changes the, pers the perspective by the way it's done. I actually understand better now and see it better that, you know, already within our group I have those that are rising to the level of being able to get into that aspect. And you young marries, basically... What you're going to find yourself into, basically, without ever putting a label on it, is a counseling ministry. You, you young gals that are going to get the material, and these moms and dads are going to get the material that, that's going to help you be a better Christian and focus on the things that God wants you to focus on, what you're going to find up is God, once you get the material, God takes you back to work and somebody struggles there and you have the ability to deal with them. Same way with the guys. It's the way it works. It's the way it works. And uh, if you're going to ever win people to Christ, you need to understand the concept of doctrine of salvation inside and out. So today, having said all of that, I want to go back to the book of Romans chapter 6, and I want to talk today about one of the most important aspects that you have to learn if you're going to deal with people as far as their eternal destiny is concerned. And when we have the classes, and, and I have one of my ladies show you how to, how you ladies how to do it, and then one of the guys show you guys how to do it, and then we tie it all back together, and we, we work through this and get it all ready to go, uh, I'll tie all of these things back together. I want to talk today not only one of the greatest things in the Bible, but one of the most screwed up teachings in the Bible. Let's talk today. 
I want to talk to you today and define for you what it means when the Bible talks about the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Now, that's something you hear a lot today. I want to talk to you about the, what something is called the baptism, baptism of Jesus' death. And I want to tie the two together. Now, Romans chapter 6, verse 1, and here's where it's at, and here's what it says. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin, now we've already talked about the concept of being dead to sin, live any longer therein? Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? Now there's your first mention of the baptism of Jesus' death. Wherefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in the newness of life. Father, we thank you and praise you today for the Lord Jesus. Lord, I stand today, Lord, and I know this church stands today at a great, at a great pinnacle point in our ministry. Lord, I understand that, uh, that, uh, that you've given us all of this and provided all of this, and it's for a reason behind it, because there's nothing that is an accident with you. We can actually stand here, and there's not too many pastors that could say this, not too many churches that could say this. We actually can stay here, stand here this morning and say that what we have here today, that we did not orchestrate ourselves. We didn't go out looking for a place. We didn't, we didn't check the, uh, the listings in the paper to find a place. We were content to be where we were. And God, in your timing, where we are at as a church, with the people that we have here today, with where we're at in the Bible, you decided to give us what we needed to go to the next level. Now, as a pastor, it is my responsibility and my job to lay that out to these people. Lord, I know that not everybody in this room will do what they need to do, but I know that many of them will. And Lord, I, I, help me to define the many. Help this not to be just something that, you know, that they're excited about today and then get a better deal next Sunday so they don't come to church. Help them not to be someone, Lord, who just gets excited about today and then Thursday night when a better offer comes up, they'd rather be there and do what they do there. That's not what we're looking for. Lord, I'm looking for men and women that have the vision to be committed to this ministry of people. Now, we have enough young couples here and enough good, solid men and women that have been around now for three or four years that could take this thing up and run it. We have enough young people here, Christian people, that need some of these foundational things in their lives, to work with other women, to work in these areas and develop these ministries. Now, Lord, we just ask you, I ask you, Father, to, to speak to the hearts of these, your people. Lord, this is your church. I've tried to always follow your leading in everything that you do and never get ahead of it. And after this point, Lord, I can honestly, before God, say that I've followed that and I've done that. Because we are here this morning, Lord, because of the timing of God in our lives. And let us see and understand that. And then, Lord, help us to learn these great principles. Help us to go away today if we can just grab these two concepts of, the, of what it defines in the Bible of the baptism of the Holy Ghost and the baptism of Jesus' death. Lord, we'll go away a little richer and these people will be a little closer to being able to help somebody else in the Word of God. And we'll thank you and praise you in Jesus' name for a sake we ask it. Amen. Now, basically, from chapter 6, verses 1 through 4, there's basically two heresies that we find here. And there's two heresies that we have here that are, are very, 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 very prevalent today. You're going to find that when it comes to heresy, you'll find heresies comes in two forms. 
You'll find heresy that I call it within the body of Christ and then heresy without the body of Christ. What does that mean? There are certain bad teachings that exist within saved people's lives. Now, the particular bad teaching that exists within in saved people's lives here is, on the, is the aspect of the baptism of the Holy Ghost is this. There's a group of people out there, and I won't tell you who they are, but there's a group of people, it's immaterial, a group of people out there that, that teach this. They teach that when you get saved, you don't get all of the Holy Spirit of God that there is. So you go through a period of time in your life, and after a period of time in your life, you come to the point where uh, God, who, you know, got your name on a big clipboard up in heaven, I guess, finally gets down to you on the list, and suddenly uh, you get dumped on with uh, the Holy Spirit of God, and wow, look out, here you go. And it's usually evidenced by speaking in tongues and, uh, you know, and all of that stuff. And it's called, the, it's called in, in, a, in a charismatic world, in the charismatic circles, is the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Well, that's not exactly right. To put it the way they say it, the baptism of the Holy Ghost. You've got to run those two words together for it to be official. But that's where we're at. The other teaching is taught the fact that, uh, that, uh, uh, that this baptism here in Romans chapter 6 is water. And it's the teaching that salvation comes through the public water system and washes away your sin. The Church of Christ teaches that along with uh, other churches. And, and of course, uh, they hitchhike off Acts chapter 2, verse 38, when Peter is talking there in verse 38. And he says, Then Peter said unto them, Repent, be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. That verse kind of works for both. Uh, when the charismatic crowd wants to teach that you've got to get baptized uh, and then get the Holy Ghost, they go to that verse along with Romans 6. When somebody wants to teach that salvation, but baptism is salvation, that's the way you get to heaven, they'll go to Acts 2, 38, and then go to Romans 6. They'll tie the two together. And, of course, uh, they both misuse it. Now, if you have your Bibles, I want you, to, I want you to see this verse. Turn over to Matthew chapter 20. Matthew chapter 20. And we want to look here, and I want, to, I want to show you this thing about Jesus' death. Matthew chapter 20, we're going to pick it up in verse 22. 22. Now, in this particular passage, uh, the disciple's mother has come to Jesus, and he, he, she, asks, she has a request. And, uh, and her request is, well, when you come and set up your kingdom, can my two boys sit next to you on the throne? Of course, she didn't obviously understand the great dispensations of the Bible. Nobody ever bought her Clarence or Larkin's book, so she couldn't have figured it out. But Jesus says in verse 22, But Jesus answered and said, Ye know not what ye ask. Are ye able to drink of the cup that I shall drink of? <clears throat> now here it comes. <clears throat> and to be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with. Then say unto him, We are able. He saith unto them, Ye shall drink <coughs> indeed of my cup, and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with. But to sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give, but it shall be given to them for whom it is prepared of my Father. Now, <coughs> you see, when you go to Romans chapter 6 or Acts chapter 2, and somebody says, Well, that baptism there is water baptism. When you go to a place like Matthew chapter 20, you begin to see very clearly and plainly that there's no way it could be water. Because he's saying here that future tense, you will be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with. But the truth of the matter is, Jesus and the disciples have been baptized in water three years before this time. So it can't be reference to water. 
They've already been baptized in water. You see, that's what's called comparing Scripture with Scripture, so you don't just take one verse out of context and make it say what you want to say. Now, can you take Romans chapter 6 there and read that, or Acts chapter 2 and read that and say that's water? Yes, you can, if you ignore Matthew chapter 20. You put Matthew chapter 20 in, and you got something else, and there's a context here that you have to see. Now, let me just say this. And understand this, and this is what you want to get down first. This baptism of Jesus' death, which is also called the baptism of the Holy Ghost. I'm going to show you today the connection between the two, even though they are, they are, they are separate, they are connected. They come at it from two different aspects. The baptism of Jesus' death, which is also called the baptism of the Holy Ghost, the first thing I want you to see is it has absolutely nothing to do with water baptism. Not a thing. The next thing I want you to see is it certainly has nothing to do with you, with the teaching that you don't get all of the Holy Spirit of God the moment you get saved. Now, let me give you a verse that puts that in perspective for you. I gave you one in Matthew 20 to show you the baptism of Jesus' death. Now, let me give you one in Colossians chapter 2 that goes along with uh, and shows you that when you did get saved, you got everything that there is to get. Now, you know that Colossians chapter 2 from our previous studies all has to deal with the great chapter on spiritual circumcision. Really, what really transpired the day you got saved. And this is the, this is the great chapter on, on, on the dividing of your soul from your flesh. And the Bible says, the operation of God made without hand, verse 11. And it says this in Colossians chapter 2, verses 8, 9, and 10. It says, Beware, lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit, after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. Now, here it comes. For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. See that thing? Know what he just told you in verse 9? He just told you in verse 9 that in Christ dwelleth everything that God is. Now, look at the next verse, verse 10. And ye are complete in him, which is the head of all principalities and power. You know what that verse says? That verse says that you just got everything that Jesus Christ had, and he had all that God was. The moment you got saved, at the time of salvation, the Bible says you are complete in him. You have all of God that there is. You may not be able to tap into it yet. You may not understand how to use it yet. It may not be prevalent in your life that it is overtaking you and you're doing all the things for God that God wants you to do, but nonetheless, you have it. Now, you see, let me go back to my original where I started in our introduction, which was a lengthy introduction but needed to be said. This is what I want to do. I want to key off to the aspect that right now if you're saved, no matter what spiritual level you're on, right now if you're saved, you have all of God that there is. The problem is, You've not developed it. The problem is, it's not a parent. You have in you right now, if you're saved, everything that you need to be the most effective, dynamic, incredible minister, person, soul winner, Bible knower, anything in this world. You have it right now. The problem is, you got to develop it. You walk into a gold gym. You see on the wall 800 million tons of barbells. You'll find machines that'll work your abs, work your arms, work your back, work your neck, work your legs, work your feet. You'll find everything you need. 
But buying a membership to Gold Gym doesn't make you a world-class bodybuilder. But it does give you the tools that you need that in time, if you work out hard, work out faithfully, work out and really put it to yourself and do what you need to do, in time you can accomplish what you want to accomplish. What I'm talking about. This church has the tools. It has everything you need to develop what you already have. The key is, do you want to do that? That's the only question. My job, as I said earlier, is to take you who want to and put the exact things in your life that you need. Not all at one time, but help you mold and make yourself that you develop your skills that you in time can take a part of this ministry. I look at a thing like the little group, the little demographic groups we have. You young couples in this church. And you couples that are they're planning on getting married. When I say young couples, I mean, you can even have some kids, obviously, and still be a young couple. But the bottom line is this. Whatever group you're in, we now got to go to work at fine-tuning our missionary abilities to penetrate that culture that is out there. You do it at work. I guarantee you God will put people in your life that, that it's, your set, it's your office, it's your desk that will walk into your cubicle and they'll start throwing up all over your table about what's going on in their life or what's going on in their marriage or what's going on with their kids. You need to have the ability to give them what they're looking for. Now you do to a certain degree. I mean, you're all good people. But you got to get better at it. You got to get specialized in it. You got to be able to come to the point that whatever you get thrown into, flexibility, adaptability, those things we talked about, wherever, whatever you get dumped into, you can respond to it. That's what it takes. Now, when you start to talk about the baptism of the Holy Ghost and the baptism of Jesus' death, from the Bible itself now, we have, we have nailed down two things. One, it certainly isn't water. Two, it has absolutely nothing to do with you not getting all of God the day you, moment you got saved. The instant you got saved, you got everything that God wanted you to have. Now, the reason why there's confusion on this is because when you can, I'm going to show you some, some, some verses here, so you want to stay with me, but you got to learn this. A while back when we started our church, I came through the great Doctrinal Seven series with you and I showed you all the major Doctrinal Sevens that are found in the Bible in a doctrinal format of teaching. You can get them on the website, they're still there. And one of the things that we went through is I showed you the seven baptisms. I showed you that in the Bible, there are seven distinct baptisms. Now, the reason why there's so much confusion on the baptism of Jesus' death and the baptism of the Holy Ghost is because people don't understand the concept of those seven baptisms. If you ask the average person who believed that they had to be baptized to go to heaven or the average person that believed that the baptism of the Holy Ghost was what they said it was of getting all that God is, if you'd ask them to lay out for you the seven baptisms in the Bible, they couldn't do it if their life depended on it. I am very suspect of people who want to tell me what to believe when they don't know what they believe themselves. This is part of the problem, see. This is what I want to fix. I not only want, and a lot of you, and I love you, bless your heart, and you're invaluable to me, you really are. 
But I'll tell you what you do. And it's, I love it. It's okay right now. You come to Thursday night, and you come to Sunday morning, and you hear something I say, and you like what I say, and it motivates you, and you, and you want to use it, so you go to work the next day, and somebody bangs up against you that's been me a tough time about this and that, and, you, and you, you pull it out, and you whack them with it. Only problem is, when they want to go toe-to-toe with you, after you basically got what I gave you, you don't know what to go from there. You know why? Because you're just Paul parroting what I'm saying, but don't understand why you believe it for yourself. That'll get you along for a while, but we got, we got better people here than that. We really do. I, 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 know, I know what I got. And don't take my remarks earlier as being disparaging remarks. And I'm not sure what the word disparaging means, but I heard somebody use it today, so I thought it would fit in. I'm excited about what I have because I know that for the most part, everybody here wants to do and get to that level in your life. I know that. You wouldn't stay here and take this verbal abuse, not that today's verbal abuse, but you wouldn't stay to the hard messages if deep down somewhere in there you didn't want to do it. Now, maybe you've got something in your life you can't get shut up or you're going to struggle with. Hey, I've said it many, many times. If you want to get rid of whatever you're struggling with in your life that's got a hold on you, throw that away and let this get a hold on you. In other words, throw out that, replace it with this. It's the greatest thing in the world for you. And that's where we're going to go. That's what we're going to do. I want to take some of you folks, bless your heart, now that we got a hub where we can do it here and get it done, we can spread it out, and we don't have to jam it into somebody's home or jam it here. We got everything we need. I want to take, I want to take and fine-tune you to the point where wherever you're at, we don't need a sign. You give me 100 or 120 of you folks and let me turn you into a sign, and all you need to do is tell them where the Apple Center is. The rest will take care of itself. I want them to see golden apples in you and your life and your body, the, the silver uh, vase by which God carries it around in. I want them to see you as the picture of the sign of Old Paz Baptist Church. I want them to see your life and say, wow, something different about them. His family's right. Her family's good. Look at that. Something has made a difference. And in a world where it's an absolute disaster, they teach you in missions. They do what they call a demographic study, a study of the, of the situation around you and whatever culture you're going to go in. In some places, they have great poverty. So what they do is they go down and when they build a church, they build a church that also functions as a social center to reach out to the people because they have no clothes or they have no food. So the church exists not only as a preaching place, but it uses the poverty to reach out and give something to the people and then share Christ with them. I've been in places where the medical care was next to nothing. And we took teams of, of doctors and nurses and down in there and worked in clinics. And the church actually opens up a clinic. You see, we don't need a clinic. You can go to Walgreens and get one of them. I was going to say we don't need passing out food and clothes, but we may in the next year or so. But America doesn't have any. Ever walk into a grocery store lately? I remember one time in Romania, we went, I went into a grocery store, and I got there early, and I wanted to see how the culture was operating, and there was a bakery right by the grocery store, and there was a line about 
a quarter of a mile long of women waiting in line at 5 o'clock in the morning for a bakery to open at 8 o'clock, and not, not even half of those ladies got a piece of bread out of that because they couldn't fulfill everybody. I walked into a grocery store. You know what they had on the shelves? They had six cans of something that looked, or jars that looked like it had been pickled and jarred uh, 20 years ago. Not a thing. You ever walk in our grocery stores? Why, you can't go one mile in every direction and you'll find a grocery store. John's grocery store, Hy-Vee, this one over here, Aldi's, wherever you want to go. You walk in there and it is a virtual paradise of food. Everything you could want. America doesn't need food. America doesn't need necessarily need medicine. Well, we got people coming to our country to get our medicine. You see, those are the needs of those countries. But if we're going to reach our own culture, we've got to define, first of all, what that need of our culture is. Let me just tell you in a nutshell. You know what America is? America is an insane asylum run by the inmates. That's what it is. America is broken marriages, broken families, broken marriages, broken husbands, broken wives, young couples just like yourself that struggle, that got married before they should have got married and find out that marriage is something more than they thought. Young individual people who are disillusioned with life, who put all their time in their career, and now it's a dead-end street. Middle-aged couples that have come to the place, where, or middle-aged singles that have come to the point that they realize that life as they thought it on planet Earth does not meet their physical needs. And they're looking for something. They're looking for something. And instead of just rolling the dice and spending $3,000, $4,000, $5,000, putting a big shine out there, hoping by chance they'll drive by, I just as soon send 150 of you out to get them. Thank you for all three of those amens. Maybe I got this thing wrong. Look at Ephesians chapter 4. You have seven baptisms. Six of them are a picture of just one of them. That makes sense to you. And the one that the other six picture has absolutely nothing to do with water. Now look at Ephesians chapter 4. Pick it up in verse 3. Ephesians 4, 3. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, even as you're all called in one hope of your calling. Here it comes. Here it comes. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. Now, you see that? And yet I could take you through in the Bible and I could show you seven distinct different baptisms. We're already talking about two, the baptism of the Holy Ghost and the baptism of Jesus' death. There was another baptism over there in Acts chapter 2 we looked at, which was the baptism of Israel's repentance in Acts 2.38. There's three. Now, the defining first that pulls this all together, and this is what you need to understand. The defining verse on the baptism of the Holy Ghost and the baptism of Jesus' death is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13. And now the lights are going to come on in some of you. Now you're going to see this thing. My suggestion is you get this tape this morning and take it home and work it down because if you're going to be one of the ones that want to learn how to win somebody to Christ, I guarantee you at some point or the other and you're dealing with people, this issue is going to come up with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. More baptism for water salvation. Now here's the divining verse. 
1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13. Now here it comes. For by one Spirit are we all baptized into one body. Whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, we have an all made to drink into one Spirit. Now try to grasp that truth. Let's read it again. For by one Spirit are we all baptized into one body. Whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one Spirit. Now the one true baptism, the one that the other six are pictures of, including the one when you and I got baptized, we'll talk about that in a moment. The one true baptism of 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 13, and also of Romans chapter 6, our text today, also called the baptism of Jesus' death in Matthew chapter 20, verses 20, 21, 22, and 23, is not water. But it means that you, at the point of salvation, you are immersed, 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 baptized with and in the Holy Spirit of God. At that, at that instant of salvation, you are, now, you are now immersed with God's Holy Spirit. Now, I don't know if you know this or not, and let me help this out. We talk about Jesus living inside of you. But the actuality is, Jesus the man doesn't live inside of you. Jesus the man, if you know your Bible, is where? Right hand of God. So what in the world am I talking about when I say Jesus is living inside of you? He's living inside of you through the person of the Holy Spirit of God. So take it one step back, one step forward, whichever way you want to go. When I talk about you being baptized uh, in, the, in the Holy Ghost at the time of salvation and you having all of Christ that there is through the Holy Spirit of God, it's because when you got saved, you were immersed with the Holy Spirit of God from head to toe, and then the Bible says that you were sealed with that in the book of Hebrews, Hebrews uh, book of Ephesians, <laughs> in 4:30, under the day of redemption. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter one verse thirteen that you were you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Now, your baptism is a picture of two things, ladies and gentlemen. Your baptism, when you got baptized. You ever see me baptize somebody? I mean, we have it over there at Jerry and Joe's every, every year. When I get them down there and put them down there in the water, I mean, what do I do? What do I do? Well, look at Romans chapter 6, verse 5. It says, for if we also, if we also excuse me, if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. So what do I do when I baptize you? We go down in the water, and we stand in the water, and I hold you there, and I ask you if you know you've been saved. Now, we know that baptism is a public testimony. We know that. We know, we know that baptism doesn't save you. We know that when you get baptized, everybody in the New Testament that got saved got baptized after they were saved, not to be saved. And we know that when you stand down there, I ask you this question. I say, do you know for sure that if you trusted the Lord Jesus Christ as your own personal Savior, and if you were to die today, you'd go to heaven to spend an eternity with Him, and you say, yes, I do. Then I say, upon your profession of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, and because of your obedience to God's command, I baptize you, my brother or sister. And then I take you and I say, bear 
buried in the likeness of Jesus' death under the water, raised in the likeness of his glorious resurrection. What's that a picture of? It's a picture of two things. Water in the Bible is a type of the Holy Spirit of God. It's also a type of the Word of God. We know now that there's one faith, one Lord, and one baptism. We also know that the time of salvation, that you and I were baptized by one spirit into one body. That took place, that baptism took place at salvation. So when I baptize you, here's the deal. Baptism of the Holy Ghost, baptism of Jesus' death. Two different aspects of the same concept. When Jesus died on the cross, he died. He died. The Bible says when he died, where did he go? He goes down to Abraham's bosom. He went under. He went down. He went under. Did you ever read in the Bible back there in Psalms when it talks about physical death, it, David likens it to billows of waves crashing over you and going down to the bottom? Don't you know in Jonah, when Jonah uh, got, was going to get eaten by the whale, and uh, he goes down there and he drowns and he talks about the waves compassing him and all of the things. And he says, he's, he's talking about being down in hell. When Jesus died on the cross for three days, he went under. Under. Under the ground. And for three days he was down in Abraham's bosom. And the third day he came out. All right. So when I baptize you. It's your public expression of what you've done on the inside, asking Christ, acknowledging to the world that you believe, if thou shalt confess with my mouth the Lord Jesus, and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. When I put you down under the water, it's a picture of baptism of Jesus' death, because he died and went under. You can be, and rose again, you can have the newness of life in Christ Jesus because of the baptism of his death. He came down, he died, he went under, and he came back out. So when I stand you there, I take you down, it symbolizes you going under the water. Here's a picture of him going under the ground. I just don't hold you there for three days. <laughs> Obvious reasons. the least of which my arms would get tired. <clears throat> and when I bring you up, what do I say? Raise the walk in the newness of life. That's a picture of the death, the baptism of Jesus' death. If you know anything about your Bible, and I don't mean to get complicated, but you know there's water at the top of the second heaven in Genesis chapter 1-1, book of Job. So when Jesus, that baptism of Jesus' death, when you really look at it, he came off that throne went down through that water, came down to earth and died, went underground, and then came back up and went back up through that water. That's the baptism of Jesus' death. It has to do with his physical death of him coming down from heaven and going down and coming back up again. Now, that's why we immerse. Now, at the same time, baptism of the Holy Ghost. The moment you got saved, you were all baptized by one spirit into one body. You got all of Jesus Christ there is the second you got saved. You got immersed with the Holy Spirit of God. Type of water in the Bible. So when I stand you down there and it's a picture and there, I, I take you and I put you under, it's a picture of you, an outward testimony of what has already happened inward to you. What took place inside you the moment you got saved. 
When I put you under that water and bring you up, it's a picture of two different aspects. One, the baptism of Jesus' death. Two, baptism of the Holy Ghost. Now, you have got to understand that concept in dealing with people about their soul. I'm not saying you've got to explain it like I just did. But you can't explain something unless you know it yourself. And the same time, you know, I meet people all the time, and so do you, and so will you, who have trouble with the aspect of, can I lose my salvation? Let me tell you something. This is why you need to know it. When you understand what took place the moment you got saved, and you really understand this concept, you could never, in your worst nightmare, worst fear, worst day of your life, ever Fall for the trap that you can lose your salvation once you understand how you got it. That's the problem. People do not understand what God did for them. And when you don't understand what God did and you don't understand what you believe, you know how it goes. When tough times come, you panic. You don't know what took place in your life. You do something wrong. You do something stupid. And the next thing you know, you're driving home, beads of sweat rolling down your head. Oh, I'm going to hell for sure. Well, maybe we ought to, but we're not. Sorry. For by one spirit are we all baptized into one body. Whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, we have been all made to drink into one spirit. And then the Bible says we're sealed on the day of redemption. Sealed. That baptism will wash away your sin and make you as clear as the driven snow. The baptism of the Holy Spirit of God and the baptism of Jesus' death are different, but they're connected in a sense. One represents his death coming down and dying and going under and coming back up. The other one represents the one true baptism, which all the other six picture in the Bible. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, but there's seven when you come through the Bible. Why? Because six of them point to that one including the one you and I, the way when you got and I got baptized. Now, here's how it works. Now, let me walk you through this. I, th- I think part of the problem is, is we talk, and, and again, this is not a criticism because I do it too. It's just where we're at. I try to be so exact with what the Bible says, and I know I don't all the time, but I try to be, but I don't. And I don't know that given where we're at, if we can, I don't know. But I think a lot of the confusion comes in comes into the idea of what I hear preachers say all the time. How many times have I heard a pastor get up and say, or somebody get up and say, or somebody talk to somebody and they say, will you have Jesus come into your life? Now that's technically not true. He can't affect your life till he comes into your soul. See that thing? He's not going to save your life. Because you could get saved and die five minutes later. It's not going to save your life. It's going to save your soul. Now, he can make your life better after you get your soul saved. But he ain't going to save your life. You're going to die someday. You're trying to tell me there weren't boys that before they went into combat someplace that didn't get saved, somebody won them to Christ and went into battle the next day and got a bullet right between the eyes before they got ten steps. Salvation won't save your life, but it will save your soul. That's the key. Once it saves your soul, yes, you can change your life. Now, here's how it works. And if I were you, I'd don't put this in your Bible maybe just yet, but I'd put it down in these simple basic stages. 
Because when, I, when you learn how to win somebody to Christ and we take the basic concepts and lay them out for you, you have to know how this thing works. Or we know, first of all, we talked about this before, that an unsaved man or an unsaved woman before they're saved, their, their flesh and their soul are stuck together. We know that. That should be an old accepted concept by now. You should know that. You're stuck together. That's why in the Old Testament you'll find the word soul and the word body used interchangeably because they're one in the Old Testament. And an unsaved man and woman today, they're stuck together. So when that person dies because that soul was stuck to the flesh and that flesh is sinful, they go to hell. That's, that's, just, the, that's just the basic theology of it. All right, Colossians chapter 2 says that the instant of salvation, the operation made without hand by God, the spiritual circumcision, what does it do? It separates the soul from your flesh. Now you're set free. And when at that instant, at that split second, you were immersed with the Holy Spirit of God from head to toe based on the fact that Christ came down and died for you on the cross. So at that instant, you're baptized into Jesus' death and you're baptized with the Holy Spirit of God. And your soul is sealed on the day of redemption. Ah, but now we got a problem. Now we got a problem. Now we have an old flesh that wants to go back and do the old things, and then we have the new man or the new nature that wants to do the good things. They're separate now. You've heard me say it over week after week after week. Whichever one you feed is the one that's going to control you. Truth of the matter is, at that point in your life, and this is where many of you are at right now or a little bit down the line, right now, because you've had this spiritual baptism and you have been baptized into Jesus' death, you now have the power of God to be complete in Him and do whatever God wants you to do. I say again, you may not understand it, you may not recognize it, you'll not be able to work it, you'll not be able to deal it. It's just simple as this. Whichever one you feed is the one that's going to run you. That's why I talked to you a couple last couple of weeks about when you get saved, you have to separate yourself from, the, from some of your old friends. You have to separate yourself from the world. You have to separate yourself from the music you listen to. You have to separate yourself from the thing that you do that, that pull you the other way. How? Come on, it's not that hard. If I tied a rope around your waist and then told you out to go do something and put a million dollars over there and said it's yours if you can get it and you're running over there and said it's yours if you can get it and you're running and I'm pulling you back on the rope, you ain't ever going to get there. Well, there's a million dollars in a millennial eternal inheritance waiting for you right over there and the world's got it, that world and the devil's got a rope around your waist keep pulling you back. This is where the Bible says in the book of Romans that you now have the ability through the power of God to, and we're going to get into this in the next couple of weeks, reckon yourself dead. Oh, what a word. Now, here's the problem. Before you were saved, you were stuck to a dead corpse. After you're saved, you're no longer stuck to it. It's separate, <laughs> but you're still stuck with it. He's looking over your shoulder right now. He's always just a, just a whisper away. You see, this is the problem people don't understand. <clears throat> just because you got saved and your soul is sinless, listen to me, listen to me. Just because you're saved and your soul is now sinless, 
doesn't mean that you still don't sin. You understand that? Your soul can't sin. It's sealed. But your flesh still can. You say, then what's the point? Well, other than you're not going to hell anymore, not much. The point is this. You and I are still going to struggle with the flesh, but we now have the ability for that flesh not to run me. I can run it. Right now, let me tell you something. Let me show you how this thing works. And I know this is true because I've talked to many of you all week long. Right now, some of you in here are saved. And you really want to do what's right, but you've got the flesh has got its claws in you. And you're struggling with a particular issue in your life. And you know what? That's probably where you should be right now from where you're at. That's okay. You look at your problem as, as, a, as, a, as a multi-magnitude problem. And it probably is to you, and it, maybe it is in life in general. <clears throat> but it's the single thing that keeps you from really doing what God wants you to do. And you've talked to me about it, and you try to, you know, you're doing everything you can to get around it, and in time you will. Let me show you how this thing works. Just use you, for example. <clears throat> right now, let's say you're struggling with some, some thing that you know you need to get rid of. <clears throat> you know there's always going to be something in your life that you need to get rid of? You know where your life should be? It should go from bigger to smaller. Let's say you're a drug addict right now. I don't, we don't have any drug addicts in here that I know of. But let's say, you say you're a drug addict. I use a nice generic term so nobody thinks I'm talking about anybody. <clears throat> let's say you're a drug addict. That's your big thing. It's got a hold of you right now. As you grow through the Word of God and you let the Word of God do and you tap into the Holy Spirit of God, 10 years down the line, you know what your big issue in life is going to be as a Christian? If you do what's right and let the Word of God help you, let the church help you, let me help you, let, let this church do for you what it's supposed to do, let us develop what's supposed to be developed. You know what your big problem is going to be 10 years from now? Not reading your Bible enough this week. Now the real key is going to be that when you get 10 years down the line, you ought to feel just as bad about not reading your Bible as you do today about in the drugs. See that thing? Sin never goes away, it just gets smaller. But you know what I've learned in life? It's the small ones that kill you. Ain't the big ones. It's much easier for you to identify, I got a drug problem, than it is for you to identify and not justify the fact you didn't read your Bible this week. See? It's the little things that kill us. Now, you see, that sounds like a contradiction in terms. When you got saved, you're free from sin, but then you still sin. The difference is, and here's how you got to understand it. The moment you got saved, your soul cannot sin. It is separated from your flesh, which is sinful, and then it is sealed, and you have all the power of God. You're complete in Him. You have everything. You've been baptized with the Holy Spirit. You've been baptized into Jesus' death. And now, for the first time in your life, you stand at a place in your life where you can absolutely get control of your life and say no to the dominating factor of sin in your life. And that's the key word, domination. The ability to keep getting up and never in spite of the flesh lose your focus of what God wants you to do. Old Mel used to tell us, I don't care if you fall a thousand times today. Get up 
1,001 and keep on going. The difference is, is when you don't have this, when you fall into sin, you just stay there. It's not that you don't sin anymore. We all sin. We all fail God. But you don't yield your members to sin, live with sin, live in sin. Sin has no more dominion over you, and you are free from the bondage, and now you struggle with the flesh, but God even made a way for you to deal with that. Now, let me just say to you, that soul that got sealed and your flesh, here's the real issue. When God fellowships with you, he fellowships through the soul. The only way God could fellowship with you and me as a filthy sinner was to separate one part from the other part, seal this part, and then deal with you through that part, knowing he can never have anything to do with this part. See how it works? It's just that simple. That's how God does it. That's why the more you feed this one, the more this one diminishes. The more you feed this one, the more this one diminishes. It just works just like that. Now, God fellowships with you through this. When you let this take control and you sin, this gets fellowship with God gets broken. You know what you've done? You've turned the switch. You went from the good to the bad. You just walked over in your life and said, on and off. Now, you've said something, done something, whatever, and now because of that sin, you have broken that fellowship because God can't fellowship you with sin. But here's the concept of the baptism of Jesus' death and the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Because you are separated and the Holy Spirit of God is within you and you still struggle with your flesh when you do sin, you don't have to go out and get saved all over again. You're sealed. It's there. What you got to do is just get that fellowship back. That's why 1 John chapter 1, verse 9 says, it says, first of all, it says, if we say we have no sin, we lie and deceive ourselves. But if we're, sin, if we're faithful and just to confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's not salvation. That's after you're saved in daily restoring that fellowship. Now, that's what you have got to learn to do and got to learn how to understand how that works. When you're saved, this one's sealed, this one's not. Sooner or later, this thing is going to give you problems. When it gets the upper hand and fellowship is broken, you got two choices. You can go and just keep on going and let it get worse and worse and worse, and it will get worse and worse and worse. Or you come to the point, at that point, and come on, let's don't kid ourselves that if you're saved, you don't know when you do something wrong or not. Can we just move right on by that one? You just stop and you simply say this, God, that was wrong, and I'm sorry. I shouldn't have said that. Lord, that old lady was going so slow in front of me, I should not have rear-ended her over the cliff. I'm sorry for that. <laughs> Next time, I will go back and help her. <laughs> old Mel used to tell me, when you understand this concept, son, and no money people do, you can, you know what? We all have the worst day in our lives, don't we? 
We all have the day when it just seems like we screw it up from day one to beginning to end. There's just one thing after. You're going to have days like that. Most Christians don't live in the reality of life. You get these little, you get these goofy little churches that have these little dial of things, you know, where you get the prayer for the day, or, or you, you know, you pick up some, you call it a number, and you, you, uh, you know, and you get some goofy person that sounds like they're a plastic made in Japan someplace, and it says, "This is the day the Lord hath made; let us be glad and rejoice." Heard a while back, the atheist got one phone call. You call in, you call in, and nobody ever answers. Truth of the matter is, we'll never have one, but if we did, here's what it would say. Hey, look, pal, this is the day you're going to get it in the neck, but God made it. Get up and keep on moving. You know how you all got answering, you all got little answering things on your phone? I used to have a killer. It was the greatest thing. I, don't, I took it off because too many people complained, but I loved it. <laughs> Somebody got me a, a cassette of World War II or, or combat battles with machine guns and bombs going off and exploding and guys running and screaming, bayonet charge and machine guns going off. What I did is I got, you know how you got to, you put a message on your cell phone, you know, I'm, this is Bob, I can't come to the phone right now, you know, leave me a message and I probably won't ever call you back, but uh, anyway. So I got in there and I had about 10 seconds of gunfire battle and everybody going. And then I come in like I was running in and I say, hey, I can't come to the phone right now, I'm really, I'm really busy. But if you leave me a message, I'll get right back to you as quick as I can. Look out, Joe, look out, back as I can. Then it'd be a silent. You hear the gun going, I said, I come back and I say, hey, war is hell, ain't it? <laughs> and hang up. <clears throat> That's much more reality the way it is in life than this is the day the Lord has made. Every morning you step out of that house and into your job, into your car, you're in a warfare. You're back in a battle. Sometimes before you even get out of the house, you're in a battle. The ability to keep getting up and never, in spite of the flesh, stay in a state of losing your focus. That is so vital to every one of us. That is the difference between this church and every other church. It's the difference what will make us fulfill the ministries for God and not fulfill them for God. Understanding what happened the day you got saved, the baptism of Jesus' death, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and realize the moment you got saved, you are two people in Christ Jesus. You got an old nature and a new nature. And when you fail, you simply confess it to God, ask Him to forgive you, and then get back up and keep moving. Old Mel said one time, he said, You could fall down a thousand times a day. And at the end of the day, you could say to the Lord, Lord, it was a good day. It started in fellowship and it ended in fellowship. What goes on between is just a matter of the battle. Really don't think you're going to get to the judgment seat of Christ and lay that seal down and lay that sword down. And God pick it up, look at that thing, see all the nicks and the pieces out of it, all the dents in it. Look at that sword and see all the scratches and all the nicks on the blade where you've been slicing it through all your life. It's a battle, folks, but there is a way to fight it. A process of taking control through responsibility, structure in your life, accountability, and availability. Constantly building your relationship through the process of crucifying your old nature, learning how to use your Bible. You know, I'm very skeptical of most Christians, not you guys, but <clears throat> I hear people all the time, I have I know a, a person that <clears throat> everything you talk to him about, his is his answer. 
Well, I'm going to have to pray about that, brother. You say, well, why don't you, why don't we, why, you know what? I think that would work better if you, if you tried this. Well, I'm going to have to pray about that. Well, what do you, what do you think you're going to do with this scenario? Well, I need, I need to pray about that. Everything you ask him, everything you give him, or everything, it, it, his answer is, well, I've got to pray about that. Now, nobody understands the importance of prayer more than I do. But let me, you know what? Let me tell you something. If you've been saved 5, 10, 15 years, and you haven't figured out yet that there's some things that you have to do in life or you have to take care of in life that you don't have to pray about, the Bible clearly has already told you what to do, you're in trouble. When I meet a guy like that, you know what I've got? I've got a guy that doesn't know his Bible. At least in my life, and I'm not saying I'm some great prayer warrior, but I know what I need to pray for and what is clearly written in that Bible that I don't need to pray about. We like to use those things. It's, it's the ability to use the Bible and know how to use it. That's what I want to do. I want you to get whatever scenario God puts you in, wherever he, wherever he places you. This next year as we move through and, and, and God, you know where he takes us from here if he gives us another year. Simply taking you on whatever level you're at and using the people that I already have at my disposal to help you get to the point in your life where you really, 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 really know why you believe what you believe and are able to stand on it and then be effective in this ministry, no matter where you're at, no matter where you're at. I don't care where you're at spiritually. There's something you can do. You may not know one Bible verse. You may not be able to win somebody to Christ, and you may only been saved for a week. And you may say, Bob, I can't do any of those things. You know what you can do? You can shine up back there and help me put this thing on for the kids. I told the story Thursday night about a friend of mine years ago in the ministry that when I went to... I went to, uh, we used to go to camp. They used to have these dirt bikes that everybody rode. And they used to just tear the fire out of them, beat them up, break them up. They didn't work. They wouldn't run. And I'd bring them back and spend four, five, six hundred $600 every year getting them ready for camp next year. And this kid come in, and he had just gotten saved. And they said to me, he says, Bobby says, I watch these kids down here. He says, I'm a mechanic. And he says, you know what I'll do for you? I'll take those bikes, and I'll, I'll, I'll keep them running for you. In fact, just, I'll just pick them up, take them home. I'll store them for you. You let me know when you need them. I'll bring them back. I'll get them running and have them ready to go. You see, he didn't know anything about the Bible. He didn't know anything about winning anybody to Christ. But he knew that he had a job, and that job was the fact that he was a mechanic. And he saw a need. And he simply said, I'll just take and start with what I know to do and give that to God. You know what he wound up? Wound up being a missionary five, six years later. That's where it starts. Don't tell, I, I hate people that tell me what they can't do. I hate people who come to me and say, well, this is the way it is, now what are we going to do? You, you know what we're going to do? We're going to find another way to do it then. That's what we're going to do. We're not going to complain about the fact that it didn't go my way or our way. Then we will find another solution and we'll get it done. That's the way it has to work because in your life as a Christian, that's what you're going to have to do. You can start whatever level you're on. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. I haven't been out there for a long time, but out in worlds of fun. I love the arcades. There's an arcade game in there. Maybe they don't even have it. I've only saw it one other place. It's down the Ozarks. But there's this little game, and I've always thought to myself, this is exactly reminds me of my flesh. It's a machine, it's a, it's a game, it's about this big, big flat board on it. It's got about 12 holes in it. And you get a big, soft mallet. 
You put your money in, and then all it pops up are these gophers. They're just boop, 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 boop. The job is you got to be faster than a gopher because they only come up a split second. All wood players. You're sitting there. I mean, I watched a lady one time. They had three machines together. And what happens is you, gotta, you get a point when you hit the gopher when it's up, but it's only up for a second. So you got to use your dexterity. You got to watch it coming up, you gotta, and you got to whack it, and you get a point. And she was just, she was whacking it so much out of control, she started whacking on the guy next to her on the next machine. I mean, it, it, and I thought to myself, sitting there and playing that game, where there, it, it, I said to myself, this is exactly what my flesh is. It pops up at the most unexpected times and just for a second, but it causes me great damage. And what I have in my hand is not a soft mallet, but I have a sharp two-edged sword. I don't just whack the little suckers on the head. I cut their heads off with this sword. <laughs> That's what we need to do. Your flesh is like those little gophers. They're going to be everywhere, causing you all kinds of problems. In beating them, just sends them down, and it'll come back up again. Fix it. Fix it. I guarantee you, you stood back there and put your quarter in and stood back with a Browning High Power 9mm or a Sig or a Glock and blew them little heads off every time they popped up. After a while, they wouldn't come up anymore. <laughs> Beating them down is not the key. You have to kill it. You have to kill it. I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. In the life I now live, but in this, uh, in this life I live now in the Son of God, with the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Everybody, no matter where you're at, no matter where you're at. Well, let's pray. Father, we thank you and praise you for the Lord Jesus.